Hi, everyone, and <laughs> Hello. welcome. Yay, welcome to a very special uh, broadcast of Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, uh, live on Facebook and will be on our Patreon. So make sure to become one of our patrons on Patreon uh, at HH the podcast. So, yeah. Um, tonight we're going to delve into something that's a little unusual for us. Typically we talk about Hollywood history, paranormal, ghost stories, uh, and that such. But tonight we are going to talk about aliens, dun, 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 or at least myths and conspiracies behind aliens. I'm sure my shirt All conspiracy that myths not none of it's none of it's true none of it <laughs> ufos aren't real <laughs> at all um yeah so uh should i do this just to yes yeah okay, i'll do the thing i'll do the thing and then we'll get into our stories okay so welcome to hollywood's haunted the podcast we are our tour guides for the Hollywood's Haunted Tours in Hollywood. And we are here to discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown and aliens as well tonight. Uh, our hosts today are the wonderful Teresa O'Hara right here. Woo! Looking great. Yeah. The wonderful Roxana Sanchez <laughs> over there. Patrick Bean. <laughs> over here Patrick. <laughs> he's moderating tonight and me tia bean yeah yeah the other one Yay. this one right here in the glasses i made the executive decision to go first um and then i guess the two of you can rock paper scissors uh after me i guess or um however you want to do it fight to the death um that's hard over zoom I don't yeah, know. We'll, I, we'll get some dice and we'll roll it out. How about that? Oh, I'm, yeah, oh, oh, my new D and D dice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> um. So I am going to talk about the Battle of Los Angeles. <gasps> Los Angeles. That's where we. Oh. So, yes. <laughs> so this is a very interesting story. Um. Like I don't. I just didn't know what to make of this. So. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to get right into it and then I'll uh, let you guys decide uh, what mm. you think about it uh, afterwards. So, uh, so the Battle of Los Angeles happened in February of 1942. So um, here in LA. So mm. you have to understand the time. You have to know like what kind of was going on at the time. It was World War II. Uh, Pearl Harbor had just happened on December 7th, 1941. So just a couple months ahead of time. Uh, so the United States was experiencing, uh, lots of tension at the time. And basically like they were expecting some warfare at some point. Oh, and I should mention, I got, uh, most of this from destination declassified on YouTube, uh, as well as a few other YouTube, uh, and articles um but wikipedia had almost nothing on this this was actually pretty hard to right read. yeah for some yeah. reason i don't know why um because this is like a documented event mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so oh, oh okay right no i'm just saying <laughs> no, I, I may know why yeah <laughs> um anyway so uh it's february 1942 pearl harbor has just 
happens. Uh, basically, people on the West Coast are very, uh, you know, tightly wound. They are very uh, jumpy, you know, because uh, we're at war right now. Uh, also, um, the West Coast had already started building bomb shelters and uh, numerous anti-aircraft guns were being placed along the coastline. Hmm. Um, so this, like, the military coming in and doing all of that kind of put all of the citizens on edge uh, yeah. at this time. So uh, in the past couple uh, weeks, uh, 12 American merchant ships had been attacked by, the Japan by Japanese submarines. Five had been destroyed. And this was all happening across the West Coast. Uh, air raid precautions were being talked about in schools. They had uh, little bits before movies about the air raid on uh, television commercials and in the newspaper um, as well. Uh, so on February 23rd, 1942 at 7.15 p.m., 100 miles off the coast of Santa Barbara, an I-17 Jap Japanese sub submarine surfaced oh, okay. and began to fire at the Elwood oil field. Oh no! Yeah. Wow. So this is that's scary. Very. Yeah, that's so. it's Santa Barbara's just a couple hours north of here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So luckily, most of the workers had already gone home, and only mm -hmm. a handful were still there. The night crew. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, it only lasted for about. 20 minutes there was minimal damage uh so uh after that happened basically everybody was expecting there to be more to come uh because it was so minimal uh 30 hours later uh on february 24th at 7 18 p.m the u.s naval intelligence issued a warning to expect an attack on california's mainland in the next 10 hours there were no sightings uh, and the alert was actually lowered a couple hours later at 10.23 p.m. So, but even though the alert was lowered, I don't think people really were like, oh, okay, we can relax now. They yeah. They were very uh, jumpy. Yeah. So four yeah. hours later, uh, the sound of air raid sirens flooded the city and a complete blackout was ordered. People panicked. Many took to shelter in their bomb shelters if they had them. Lots of people tried to flee the city. Uh, there were several car accidents of people trying to leave Los Angeles. Uh, and many people got on the roofs of their buildings to see what was going on. Uh, at 3.16 AM for 58 minutes in array of gunfire lit up the sky oh, man. soldiers started shooting at the sky out of instinct as orders from the chain of command started to get lost in the chaos anti-aircraft guns uh, erupted from the ground uh explosions burst into the air so soldiers and citizens alike just started shooting at something in the sky for eight minutes um, citizens as well they were just like oh, okay okay wow. but everyone's like you know it's the japanese you know yeah, they're doing their duty they're trying to protect their yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's very vague if there was a command to do this on the army or mm -hmm. not 
or if it was okay. one shot that set off a chain reaction. Uh, okay, that makes so sense. So, a lot it you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, cars were crashing, people were screaming, and the air smelled of gunpowder. One thousand four hundred anti-aircraft shells were exploded. Uh, uh, some people claim to have seen a giant zeppelin in the sky. Some people say they saw a fleet of over 200 planes. Some people said it was close to 2,000 planes. Oh, my uh, wow. Some say they saw a large round object uh, and it wasn't being affected by the gunfire. So an all clear sign was given at 4.14 a.m. And after that, there was complete silence. Uh, the blackout was lifted at 7.21 a.m. Uh, and when people left their homes, they were surprised to see almost no wreckage. So people start to come out of their homes. Uh, they see no enemy planes crashed around them. Uh, no buildings reduced to rubble. Uh, and no major damage. There's just damage that looks like it was done by the citizens' fire. Like... Um, some windows are broken and some bullets on the sides of the buildings. Okay. Uh, and a few wrecked cars, minor damage to buildings, broken windows, bullet holes. Yeah. Five people had died. Jeez. Uh, three from car accidents while fleeing the area and two from heart attacks from the stress. Wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Cause you think it's a home invasion. Yeah. Or a homeland invasion. Yeah. Uh, so the next day, the Secretary of the Navy, Frank Knox, says that the events from the night prior were a false alarm, chalks it up to war nerves, uh, which people were just trigger happy and edgy. So, uh, yeah. uh, and one person saw something and it was just a chain reaction from there. Okay. The day after that, uh, the Secretary of War, Henry Stimson, a uh, voice that he agreed with the army general, George Marshall, that a minimum of 15 enemy planes were seen in the city. They were, uh, they were doing an attack. They weren't doing an attack, uh, but they were causing psychological warfare. So 15 planes flying over the city, not attacking the city, but to cause panic. Oh, those uh, Japanese, they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. But how did... 15 planes managed to avoid being shot down. Yes. I mean, that's must be really good. I mean, they're, they were good, you know, pilots, but that's Mm -hmm. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when the whole city and the whole army and everybody is just shooting into the sky, you know, there was no evidence of any, any sort of, uh, enemy aircraft. Uh, numerous unexploded anti-aircraft shells were found in the area. Police were sent out to dig them up and return them back to the army. Wow. uh, Media sources were starting to contradict each other. Uh, conspiracy theories started to come out. So this is where we get to what people think that it possibly could have been. Um, so... One conspiracy theory is that it was a plot the U.S. government had to take away Southern California's war industry, particularly the aircraft industry, and move it more inland. Uh, A scare tactic used by the United States military to scare people from moving the military off the coast. 
which kind of contradicts each other there already. Yeah, it's like, uh, okay. So the Navy claimed that there was nothing in the sky. The Army claimed a dozen planes and civilians claimed that they saw close to 200 uh, planes. Uh, civilians also claimed that they saw Japanese uh americans that were on the ground signaling uh planes in the sky where to attack so i don't know what that is mm, but also around this time is also when we had the concentration camps yeah in so California yeah. for the japanese and like i hate to say this right. but i'm sure uh that people were like oh yeah my neighbor john over here i saw him signaling you know people you know there was yes. a lot of, uh, it's hard to say because there was a, just a lot of racism yeah. at this time, yeah. um, especially towards the Japanese or, well, anybody really. Um, so uh, the theory also is that this was a contact from a UFO, uh, which just means unidentified flying object. So it definitely was a UFO, uh, whether it's, extraterrestrial or terrestrial, who knows, you know? <laughs> so uh, one major uh, reason why people think it was a UFO uh, was because many had claimed to see this enormous UFO avoiding fire by moving quickly. It was reported to be a pale orange. People mm -hmm. were reported seeing a saucer shaped object but the biggest evidence that people had that it was a spaceship is this photo right here behind mm. me. Uh, mm. And when this is, if this is ever on our Patreon, it is a photo that was in the newspaper. I'm not exactly sure which newspaper, maybe it says up here somewhere. <laughs> it just says Thursday more, oh, Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles yeah. Times, yeah. 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 Picture from the LA Times where you can see in the middle sort of a right there right there a saucer shaped object mm -hmm. now these pictures were retouched to make them more clear mm -hmm. so they're enhanced not sure. enhanced yeah oh, uh, they're not sure if that came from some of the photoshop retouching that they had been doing uh it could be from all of the beams converging together mm -hmm. it could oh, be a yeah part of an explosion, or it could be a UFO. Okay, so some say there were several UFOs silently hovering over areas around town that were not, the that the firing was not happening. So people said that all the gunfire was over here, but they saw UFOs floating in this area uh, over parks and schools and different areas around Los Angeles. So, um, nobody ever figured out what happened some people think that it might have been a weather balloon um actually in 1983 the united states air force issued a statement saying that uh they went on to say after extensive studies that weather balloons were the cause of the whole thing uh we, why do we have so many weather balloons out there? It always feels like right. there's just all these weather balloons all over the place. Uh, I mean, um, on one hand, it could have been a weather I mean, balloon. Do we? Do we have a whole bunch of weather balloons just floating around? No, just, I mean, I agreed with you about, um, yeah, it's always a weather balloon. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's like, are they that yeah. common up there? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think the reference to the 
Roswell weather balloon that they talk about in Men in Black, where they're like, oh, we said it was a weather balloon. <laughs> yeah. It uh, comes from this story. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, maybe it was, you know, maybe it was a little blinking light in the sky. One guy starts shooting, another guy starts yeah. shooting on and on yeah. until panic ensues, you know, who knows? Uh, this can be supported from many of the anti-aircraft units who went on record to say that the object was moving too slow to be an airplane and that the object didn't seem to dodge or avoid any of the oncoming attacks. Hmm. Uh, the pulsing red lights on the balloons could have been mistaken for enemy planes and the smoke from uh, the gunfire could have make it, made it appear as something else and also masked the plane a little bit. But why was there never any debris and why has it never been identified? Yeah. I mean, if it didn't move and it was just an air, a weather balloon, you'd think they would have easily shot it down and been like, oops. So Yeah. So that is the Battle of Los Angeles. It is still a really big mystery on what could have happened. Some people think, oh, yeah, it's a UFO that, you know, uh, or I don't know, a multi-dimensional object or. Just trigger happy folks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but uh, that's that's my story, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the thing that's the most the most unusual about it is like yeah people are people are dumb for sure and like you know see something like oh well let's all shoot at it you know but how long did you say 50 58 minutes 58 that's minutes? like an hour I mean that's really a you would have long sh- time yeah. uh, you know because you'd have to reload several times mm-hmm. like that <laughs> seems weird you know that seems weird that seems like yeah. there had to have been something there that's the only thing for me you know that makes it like that there had that yeah. there had to have been something because 58 minutes that's god that's a long time that's yeah. so that's such a long time to be firing a weapon <laughs> like, I, I, your yeah. hand would be so tired after that. and you would think a weather balloon you would have shot it down by yeah, then exactly yeah yeah you know? so and like yeah that's or maybe if it was a weather balloon, you shoot it for 58 minutes, there probably won't be anything left. Anything left, that's it. Yeah, it's just like, oh, right. <laughs> but it's gonna, it's, it will fall eventually. It doesn't just stay up there. You that's know, true. I mean, but, all, but all, the, all those clouds of smoke, like maybe it fell like, you know, 10 miles away or something. Oh, yeah. could be. Yeah. But also with the clouds of smoke and then anti-aircraft uh, going off in the smoke was it's going to cause lights coming from other areas which yeah. would confuse people who aren't used to seeing stuff like that right yeah, um, that's true but also like with the chaos like and it was like a, it was like telephone you know one guy's like oh i saw a bunch of you know japanese over here doing this but like did you yeah or did or, somebody say something similar and someone on and on exactly you know? yeah. um another thing i'm thinking that did anybody claim this weather balloon been like hey we lost a weather balloon over this area like you would think that whoever even in the 40s that had sent it up that they would want to be able to collect the information and if it had gone missing they'd be like excuse me i don't know that's what i'm thinking i I wonder how that works yeah i don't know about that Apparently, I guess there's just rogue weather balloons just well, floating when, up in when the you atmosphere. said that, I can do remember uh, <laughs> growing up in Albuquerque, I remember seeing like weather balloons being launched like a kind of a normal thing, sort of. So maybe oh, really? they just boo, boo, 
Okay. Or maybe they were telling you they were weather balloons. The, well, right, yeah. Well, it's New Mexico, yeah. But the the sky <laughs> in New Mexico is ridiculously clear, so they they're yeah. like great weather for that. That's why the balloon fiesta is such a big thing. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's really, yeah. I think that's really the only reason why. I mean. The only reason uh-huh. there's Los Alamos National Labs and all that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Who's going next? You gonna mm-hmm. rock paper scissors? Mm-hmm. You want rock paper scissors? Do you want to go mm-hmm. next? Roxana just turned into an alien. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you guys. I can go next, but um, mine is um, it's not uh, alien. Oh, it is, oh, wow. It is oh, a flying yeah. object. Okay. I mean, that's what um, I thought I was supposed to. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, it's uh, the Thunderbird. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. It is a humongous, unidentified flying object. Well, some people think they've identified it, but, um, oh. but it is very exciting. So, yeah. Um, let's see let's see well before I jump into the main story I have to refer to my many many notes here Um, the Thunderbird first actually spoke to me because uh, it's been seen a lot in Illinois in my home state so uh, personally it just you know I have a, a wonderful book in case anyone's interested in Finding more out about Illinois, Weird Illinois, by, yeah, you can see it, Troy Taylor. <laughs> so anyway, just a little plug for his book. It's really awesome if you want to know um, basically every weird thing there is to know about Illinois. I'm sure there's more actually, but that's that's the most recent edition. Um, so the Thunderbird um, is originally a Native American legend uh but could it be real that's that's the real question out there it is a very very popular uh cryptid in my book i'm so excited to say the word cryptid finally on live television (laughs) i'm such a nerd (laughs) check that off your bucket uh, list yeah you know i mean Cryptids are cool. There's Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. I mean, there's so many of them. Take your pick. Uh, but, last, uh, last week or the week before, what did I do? I did the Skinwalkers. Ooh, oh, yes. Yeah, that was pretty American. interesting. Uh, That's, that was, yeah, that weird. Skinwalker Ranch Definitely. has a lot of also connections with aliens and also the Skinwalker. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I've heard, Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So cryptids uh, and the Thunderbird definitely is one. Um, so it is essentially um, just a, an enormous bird uh, at the very core. It's it's said to have a wingspan of twenty feet or more, um, hook talons, razor sharp beaks that can just rip human prey apart in seconds. Uh, And then to get into the more um, tribal aspects of the Thunderbird, uh, originally, I mean, it's a symbol of power and protection. Um, And but it could also be vengeful, I learned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, uh, it's most 
most uh, often the protection aspect because it can shoot lightning out of its eyes. Um, and it also, the thunder is caused by its wings flapping at a rapid pace. So it sounds like thunder and water rolling off of the bird's back is rainfall essentially. So, yeah, so it, you know, it could be, it's definitely a, a bringer of weather, all kinds of, of good and bad weather. So if rain is needed, obviously it's a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing if uh, the lightning is destructive and causes fires and um, all kinds of natural hazards. So, um, but, but let's see, I'm just looking over my quick. Oh, so there's a lot of, um, well, I, I don't know about a lot, but there's different um, schools of thought on if it was actually a colorful bird with feathers. That's how it's described in legend, especially Native American legend. But then when you get into the actual sightings, mm -hmm. um, it, it becomes a little bit different. And then it's usually seen as a darker, either black or gray bird, um, often with like a white ring around its neck. But the basic characteristics are still in place with the very, you know, razor sharp talons and the super sharp teeth. Um, just looking like a terrifying bird of prey, essentially. Um, so let's see. What else interesting do I have here? Um, well, it's thought to um, perhaps be based in some part of reality. I mean, I. I, being a believer of all these kinds of things, I would like to believe it's out there somewhere. Um, but uh, the scientific approach is that um, these are pterosaur fossils that were found by Native Americans originally. Um, they think maybe the mound builders, like uh, mm -hmm. one would be in Illinois, the Cahokia tribe. Um, and they think that maybe they found these pterosaur fossils and that that's why they now think um, that this could be the Thunderbird. Um, so, and the cryptozoologists <laughs> of those cryptids also agree uh, that uh, it's probably in all likelihood uh, related to the pterosaur, um, who's actually, um, if you hear pterodactyl or pterodon both come from the pterosaur, which is a flying reptile. So it's actually like, uh, you know, the, the Thunderbird and it's been referenced in several different cultures that it might actually be more dragon-like uh, mm -hmm. than bird-like. Wow. So yeah, it's kind of a mixture of the two, mm -hmm. uh, depending on which, which legend you're reading, but this is all over the world. But um, like I said, the story that pulled me in was the one from the Midwest, <laughs> of course, Midwest girl. Um, but I actually read the story when I was still living in Illinois at the time. So even then it was more like, wow, I wanna know more about you know, what this is. Um, so this, the actual story that caught my attention was there was this sighting uh, of the so-called Thunderbird in Lawndale, Illinois. Mm. Now, Lawndale is a long way from where I grew up in the Chicagoland area. It's actually uh, closer to Springfield, Illinois than it is, so, so my state capital. Um, so I guess, you know, if you look at it on a map, it does look like it's exactly 
right in the middle of Illinois, uh, in my opinion, in the middle of nowhere. Oops, sorry, I said all of that. <laughs> you said it. But I'm being, I am wearing my Chicago shirt tonight. So. Is that a sausage? I mean, it's the, the closest. Yeah, the sausage, sausage king. king. Chicago. <laughs> Your what? It, from Ethan That's, from? Yeah. Abe Froman. Yeah. Abe Froman. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Ferris Bueller's Day reference. That's awesome. One of my favorites. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Great show. Yes. Great movie. <laughs> but uh, as everyone knows, Chicagoans, any of you watching, we are we do get arrogant, especially when we talk about Chicago. So it's usually tongue in cheek. Usually, so. Um, anyway, I was loving, lovingly referring to Lawndale, Illinois, uh, in the middle of nowhere, but no, it's in central Illinois, mm -hmm. um, close to the nation's capital. So anyway, um, the story uh, is in 1977. So actually a couple of years before I was born. I don't know if that's why it resonated more with me too, but actually the story is just incredible to me. Um, so these three boys were playing in a backyard in Lawndale, um, and it was the home of Ruth Lowe. And uh, while these boys were playing in the backyard, they noticed overhead these two gigantic birds. They came out of nowhere, of course, essentially, just swooping overhead and circling around, while all of a sudden, one of the birds swoops down and grabs 10-year-old Marlon Lowe, who's Ruth Lowe's son, by part of the fabric on the shirt he was wearing with these <laughs> talons. So he hooks in and uh, of course, Marlon and the other boys start screaming. You know, Marlon is trying to free himself from, from the claw, uh, but Ruth comes to the doorway and allegedly sees Marlon's legs dangling in the air as he was carried yeah, he, apparently according to this story he was carried um 35 feet uh and that was from a three three foot height uh so he was dragged for for a good little while there yeah. uh and then apparently um his mother screaming uh, cause the the huge bird creature to release him to the ground. So he was very, you know, he was badly scratched and really frightened. Yeah. But uh, other than that, he was essentially unharmed in that sense. Uh, but uh, both the mother and her son for years afterwards, uh, they claim that this story just it had terrorized them the whole experience. So <laughs> they found it very, very difficult to talk about even. And it said that um, the mother, Ruth, she would look through all kinds of different guidebooks, anything they had available at that time uh, as a resource material to try and identify the bird, but she couldn't identify it in any book or anything they had available. Um, and that also the, um, the wildlife, uh, well, well, first it was, I guess it was the conservationists who said, you know, it's, it's turkey vultures um, or that it was perhaps condors. Uh, but both of those things were disputed because yeah. the turkey vultures, uh, they weren't, you know, wildlife experts said they're not 
they, they're not capable of doing something like what you just described. Yeah. They certainly can't pick a child, you know, off of the ground. Um, so that was disputed. And, and they're, then, they're scavengers, right? So they're not, that's not even how yeah. they hunt. They just eat off of, the, yeah. Right. They were saying, you know, that these were probably, because uh, there were, this wasn't the only account, actually. This was just probably the most popular account. There were um, several others uh, in nearby counties, and it even stretched into St. Louis, Missouri, which um, uh, Alton is nearby, and that's that's pretty that's closer to St. Louis than it is to Chicago. So um, that might have been why a lot of those sightings happened. But um, they said that it could have been condors as well. But uh, the largest. I want to get this right. The largest bird in North America is the California condor. Mm -hmm. So we know living here in California, it's um, it's only native to some areas here, and it's uh, also an endangered species. So yeah, and um, they also don't they're not able to carry a, a small person. Yeah, right. Exactly. They at their biggest wingspan, it says that it's um, up to nine feet. Yeah. So with the all the accounts of the Thunderbird being, you know, 20 feet or longer, yeah. that's that's just not that's not happening. Um, so, yeah. So they were obviously uh, traumatized. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that was that happened. Damn. That happened not too far from where I grew up. <laughs> so that's I, was like, I, I read that story. I'm thinking. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I wonder if this, these giant creatures could <laughs> swoop down at any moment. It's just kind of, I don't know, crazy to think about that stuff, obviously, but you know, uh, there's so many different accounts of it. Um, uh, the other one that I wanted to mention uh, about uh, with the Thunderbird um, is uh, it's also called um, Back to Alton, Illinois. Uh, which just to orient everybody again, Alton is um, on the Mississippi River. It's closest to St. Louis. It's about uh, 20 miles north of St. Louis, but on the Illinois side. It's actually considered part of the greater metropolitan area, I found out, of St. Louis, but the east side. Um, so yeah, uh, kind of like the Indiana of Illinois, if anybody understands that. <laughs> anyway. That's my dad's um, Right. I thought I remembered you uh, mentioning that once. Yeah. That's where he's from, right? Mm -hmm. From Alton? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. So in Alton, we had what was called the Piesa bird or just the Piesa. Um, and the Piesa uh, was kind of, it's more of the dragon-like part than the bird part that I meant I've been mentioning. Okay. Um, this was actually, if you remember your history, um, you remember um, Father Jacques Marquette and Louis Joliet. Uh, they had discovered the <laughs> northern part. <laughs> I'm giving you a history lesson here. Oh, they discovered great. the northern part of the um, the northern territory part of the Mississippi River. Um, so. Uh, Marquette actually saw when what was the date here is really early on. I want to say, yep. So he discovered um, this mural in limestone 
it was um, bluffs right above the Mississippi River in Alton. Um, but it was this big mural. Well, actually, it was two paintings, he said. Um, but it was back in 1673. So, um, and at that time, uh, he said that it looked like two uh, sea monsters. Uh, so the description was very weird, actually. I'm going to read you the description um, because it definitely sounds a lot different than the Thunderbird, but these two are thought to be very closely related. Um, so he said, uh, the piesa was as large as a calf with horns like a deer, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's, a face like a man, the body covered with green, red, and black scales, and a tail so long it passed around the body, over the head, and between the legs. So that's a long ass tail. I don't, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but that's a pretty, that was in the diary of what uh, Marquette wrote hmm. uh, about uh, after finding those paintings. So, uh, number one, it's pretty detailed. And number two, yeah, it doesn't sound very much like uh, the bird at all to me. Um, in fact, uh, uh, I found out that the limestone itself as, as, a, as a rock, um, it doesn't even support um, paintings like that very well. So it needs to be constantly retouched, repainted. Um, and the original part actually isn't even there anymore. There's a recreation which originally, or originally, which um, ironically, I actually saw <laughs> in the uh, probably early 90s when my dad took us on a really random trip to Alton, Illinois. <laughs> so um, I actually got to see um, the recreated mural of this uh, piesa bird. Yeah, I did not even know at the time. Uh, and I actually took a picture of it um uh, I don't have the I don't have the picture of um the actual painting which I feel like I do somewhere but I couldn't find it but I nerd that I am I took a picture of this legend of the piesa um and it's a little you know like I don't know whatever informational thing <laughs> about you know it says in 1673, Jacques Marquette reported that he and fellow French explorer, you know, basically everything that I just uh, told you. So, mm -hmm. but it was just so funny to me when, you know, I started thinking about the Thunderbird and then I was thinking about Alton and then I was like, wow, wait a minute. I actually really uh, paid attention to that for some weird reason as a kid, so. <laughs> It just goes to show to me, I guess, more than anyone, but I've been into yeah. this kind of stuff for a while. So no. <laughs> no, I um, found uh, I found a journal of mine when I went back home one of these years. I went back home and I found a journal I must have wrote in like seventh grade and it was like a bucket list of like haunted places I wanted to visit. It was really oh, cool. Weird. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, similar. <laughs> Except I think I was, I wasn't as brave as you because I probably at that point would not have, I wouldn't have picked out the haunted places, but now I would. But 
no, back then I was just uh, dabbling, if you were. So, um, uh, so yeah, uh, the piesa bird is um, uh, actually, I found out too, another interesting thing about the piesa bird um, is that um, part of it is, I mean, well, maybe all of it, but a good chunk of it, at least in the folklore of Alton, Illinois, is heavily, heavily fabricated and influenced by um, an ex-professor that taught there. Um, and his name was John Russell. And um, he actually, um, it was in the late 1800s, but he wrote an account of uh, the Piesa bird. And he kind of, he kind of tied in a little bit with uh, Marquette with what he had found, but uh, he mostly wrote narrative on, <laughs> this is what the backstory of the Piesa bird is. And he even said that it was the Illini tribe that um, called the, the Piesa bird, uh, they said that it was the, a bird that devours man. But just keep in mind that that was a fabrication of John Russell and not mm. actually <laughs> the native American Illini tribe. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting too. Uh, but they mentioned that on, um, I think it's one of the websites that's tied to Alton, uh, with their folklore. And they say that, you know, just keep that in mind because <laughs> it's, you know, it is Native American legend partly, but it's, you know, also heavily narrative. So just remember that when you're <laughs> taking all things into account. Oh, there was one more sighting actually that I wanted to mention. Um, and this kind of goes back to, uh, well, the Thunderbird, but then it gets more into the pterosaur territory of things. Mm -hmm. um, this was actually a sighting that happened in 1890 in Arizona, uh, back when, you know, uh, this was just like Arizona territory desert. Um, so, basically two cowboys found uh, this huge crazy flying creature in the sky that we most likely think may have been a thunderbird or something like that. Um, but they shot at it and apparently shot it down. Uh, but then when they got up close to it, they noticed that um, it was not very much like a bird at all. Once again, it's more like, like I said, like a um, a pterosaur or like a, uh, not dinosaur, uh, a pterosaur or dragon-like. Um, so they said that it had the head similar to an alligator, uh, that its wingspan was 190 feet. Its body was 92 feet long <laughs> and that it had no feathers, but smooth skin. Mind you, this is back in 1890. Uh, its wings were composed of thick and nearly transparent membrane. So that does kind of sound more similar yeah. to like a pterodactyl or yeah. a pterodon or a pteratorn, which is um, actually another uh, uh, species of bird that I found out about. Um, but anyway, so so they said that they found, found this creature and shot it down. But then there's an actual, um, there's another account in 1970, so way, way later. Um, but this kid, this, well, he's a man by this point, but this man named Harry McClure, he claimed that he 
knew one of the cowboys when he was a small boy. And in the real account, as was told to him by one of the cowboys, um, the creature had a wingspan of only 20 or 30 feet, which I mean is still, <laughs> that's still in the Thunderbird or Pterosaur category, but not the fan, you know, the humongous creature that they once, um, they told him about. Uh, but uh, that they also said that he wasn't killed. They didn't shoot it down, um, but they just came back to, to town to tell the fantastic tale. And supposedly there are supposed to be pictures, but no one has ever uh, found any pictures. Uh, and that's kind of why uh, the, the Thunderbird is a cryptid because there's been real no, no real substantiated evidence of anything, unfortunately, except for people's um, eyewitness accounts. But, you know, as I said, I still have huge soft spot <laughs> for all of those guys. Um, you know, they're out there somewhere, I'm sure. So, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Cause uh, when I was doing the research for Skinwalker Ranch, which is in, Utah? Yes, yes. I think it's in Utah or in that area. I want I you know is it southern Utah? I write these long reports yeah. about it and then I then yeah. it just gets yeah. replaced by something else the next week. Uh yeah, somewhere in the middle area of America. <laughs> Cause I only know where New York and where California is. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in on Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Uh, Ballard, uh, Utah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Utah? Okay. Yeah. You yeah, yeah, were yeah. frozen, so it looked like you were like speaking psychically. It was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so most of the accounts were from like the 1950s uh, on into like the 90s. Uh, the, the accounts that uh, the Gorman family, but that's not their name, but you can look it up. Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, the, the mom, the wife, the mom, uh, she claimed that she saw tropical birds that she couldn't identify uh, yeah. flying around yeah. their property. And she was never able to find them in any sort of, you know, nature books or anything. So right. like uh, turtles. Yeah. Yeah, very weird. And then they also they saw like large animals there. Yeah, uh, yeah. They didn't identify either. And then the skinwalker, which is like supposed to be a gigantic wolf the size of a car. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, so, so yeah, it's very interesting. Lots of unexplained things out there. You know. I think there are definitely. You know, I mean, it's it's like I said, the part that got me about the Thunderbird uh, just in general was it's happening in the Midwest. Nothing happens like that in the Midwest. Well, yeah. we got a lot of ghosts for sure, but. Well, alien know, abductions like, in the cornfields. Yeah. That and that too, that too. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like huge, you know, animals. I don't know. Maybe it's, I definitely think, you know, in my travels, I've seen some strange things happen in Southern Illinois. But uh, I mean, driving through mostly, but um, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you guys. I think there's, there's a lot unexplained out there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, what's uh, 
somebody have something else? <laughs> well, speaking of unexplained, I guess we can head into the men in black or the yeah. real men in black. Yes. So uh, kind of like Tia going on to Wikipedia, uh, looked up the real men in black. And again, there was just not a lot to go off of. And it kind of was just brushing them off as like, oh, they're just a hoax. So anyways, then you start digging a little bit deeper and you're going, oh, wait, there's kind of a similar story that keeps happening over and over again, where people that claim to see them will then later be like, haha, I was just kidding. And that kind of sets off like a bit of a red flag. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I started off with uh, Wikipedia and the conspiracy apparently began in the 1950s and 60s when there was that that big, you know, UFO sightings and it just kind of spread through the UFO community. Yeah. Uh, UFOologist, I think that's what they're called, uh, uh, basically thought that the men in black were sent um, to quiet them because they had discovered the quote unquote truth. And then in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it really came into a conspiracy theory. Uh, you had the little comic book that was created that eventually became the movie, the Hollywood. But again, that's the whole Hollywood thing that really, yeah, that's different. Um, some people think <laughs> that the encounters that people had with men in black were just mistaken identity. Uh, for example, there's a ufologist, his name was John Keel, and he said that back in 1967, um, he had run out of gas and he was just trying to find, or I don't know if he had run out of gas, but anyways, he, he needed to find a phone to call a tow truck. And as he was just walking along, apparently somebody thought that he might be a men in black. So there's been those kind of stories. Uh, mm. And that's pretty much what Wikipedia was saying, that it's all hoax or mistaken identities and it's not real. And, oh, but look at the movies. We can give you all the information about the movies. So then I kept looking and I went to the history.com, you know, the History Channel website. So back when we were growing up, mostly it was about World War II and all of that. And then somehow like it 15 years ago, it kind of switched to aliens, like the ancient aliens, and that's just all aliens and conspiracy. So this other information I got from uh, the history.com, uh, the article was the UFO sightings that launched men in black mythology, and it's by Justin Soblich. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm sorry, Justin. Uh, <laughs> so basically, it starts on June 27th of 1947. So just a couple of years before I was born, uh, Harold Dahl and his son, Charles, were out on a boat in Puget Sound. That's up in Washington. And they were near Murray Island, if anybody from Washington knows where that is. That's what they were doing. They were working like a, a conservationist thing where they were gathering uh, logs. So they were out gathering these logs and they saw what they said looked like six donut shaped objects hovering about half a mile above their boat. Then one of the objects fell and there was metallic debris that followed it, and it hit um, Charles in the arm. So, you know, he had a, a, a mark on his arm. 
And then Dahl actually took pictures of this and he went and he showed his supervisor. And his supervisor was skeptical, being like, eh, okay, let's go ahead, take me out. And I want to see this craft for myself. They take him out. He sees the craft. Then later, Dahl was visited by a man in black, one man in black suit. Uh, he told Dahl what he saw in great detail because he was like, okay, you saw this, you saw this. And he said, um, and the man told him, quote unquote, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. And uh, this was count- this encounter was also described in the book. They knew too much about flying saucers by Gray Barker, and that was published in 1956. Um, and then also the the man in black threatened Dahl to not speak of the incident, or bad things were ha- um, were going to happen to him. Um, <clears throat> and then later. Uh, him and his son basically said, oh, wait, the whole entire thing was a hoax. So again, we're kind of seeing like this is just the beginning of one pattern. Um, Now, from this, from what he saw, the men in black, the description, the conspiracy started to get going, but they always wear black suits, hats, and dark sunglasses, and that they usually will show up in groups of twos or Threes. Uh, some people think that they might be a part of the FBI, but they're not as sexy as Skelly and Mulder, so I don't know. Uh, others think that they I may be. I, exactly <laughs> right. Oh, I wish. Um, <laughs> other people think they may be extraterrestrials themselves uh, because they can be described with having like these strange glowing eyes and a really odd complexion that's not very uh, human like. Um, so Dahl and his supervisor that he had taken out to, um, to see the ship before Dahl basically said it was all a hoax, him and his supervisor were going to be, they wanted to take this story and have it published. So they reached out to a Chicago magazine. Uh, then in July, the army got involved. Uh, so two officers from A2 Intelligence went to investigate Dahl's claim. So on their way back from the investigation, their B-25 caught fire and crashed, and both of the officers were killed before they were able to turn in their report about what had happened. Um, uh, Yes, another kind of book that kind of goes into detail is The Real Men in Black by Nick Redfern, and that was published in 2011. Um, Now, there's also another conspiracy uh, based off of a documentary, not based off a documentary, but it's explained in a documentary called Mirage Men, uh, where the AFOSI would actually send out people to kind of spread misinformation. So they were given things that were true, that may be about UFOs, but also given things um, that were untrue. And these people would infiltrate these UFO communities and kind of spill all this information, kind of just to discredit everything in the UFO community, even though there are some true things, because they're also spreading untrue things uh, that, again, it really made those true things seem like, oh, it was a hoax. It was not really real. So again, I don't know if the men in black were a part of a part of that whole group, the AFOSI, or if there was just misinformation kind of being spread about them. Um, But then we actually have to go even further back in time to kind of see where the 
first documented encounter with the men in black uh, when that happened. And that happened in 1953. And it was Albert K. Bender. And he said he was visited by three men dressed similar to dolls visitors. So again, men in black, uh, wearing all black, and there was three of them. Now, Bender wrote his own book in 1962 called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And Bender, he was in the Air Force. He actually fought in World War II. And he founded the International Flying Saucers Bureau in 1952. And it was the first major civil, uh, civilian UFO club in the world. And it was actually really successful. But for some reason, he shut it down in 1953. Hmm, the same year he met those men in black. So apparently... What happened was in March of 1953, three men in black went to Bender's house and they communicated with Bender telepathically, kind of like how I did when I told you guys how it, the Skinwalker Ranch was in Utah. Remember that incident throwback, right? Okay, anyways, <laughs> that's what they did. Um, and they told him that uh, kind of where UFOs came from, and they gave him a lot of information about UFOs, and they also gave him this metal disc and some instructions as, as well. And apparently after this encounter, Bender, he didn't sleep for three days, and he actually felt really ill. And after this encounter with the men in black, he suffered from frequent headaches. And uh, even his coworkers kind of mentioned that he seemed different. Um, he didn't talk about um, the encounter, but they did said that he seemed like he was scared of something. And, and in fact, he actually didn't say anything for about nine years. And then he went ahead and wrote his book. Oh. Um, uh, Bender does not believe that the men in black are human. Um, and he actually thinks that they uh, capture people from earth and use their bodies to disguise themselves as humans. So that's, that's creepy. Um, Another thing that was weird, <laughs> I know, right? Like, it could be me. Oh, God. No, um, um, but Bender, he was also set to publish um, what he had learned about all the UFOs and everything uh, in, a, in a magazine that he had. It was called Space Review. So he was going to publish this. Uh, but then again, after that visitation, he was too scared to do it. So he kind of pulled uh, what he was going to publish. And instead, he issued uh, a warning. And the warning was, we advise those engaged in saucer work to please be very cautious. Uh, then he completely pulled all publication of the actual magazine. So Space Review went bye-bye, and then he dissolved the IFSB. And, and again, that just went away in 1953. So after that encounter, um, he just shut all of this down because he was kind of so scared. Uh, and again, somebody else mentions in the book that, oh, it, these encounters, he's just dreamed it up. And it, it, it seems like a lot of the people that say they've had an encounter with the men in black uh, seem to kind of just go back on their story to be like, ha I was just kidding. It's just a hoax. 
and the fact that there's just such little information on Wikipedia about uh, uh, Bender, about uh, Doll, about all of this other stuff I had to find elsewhere makes me a little bit skeptical of is somebody going through and taking off all of these references? Uh, mm. You would think that they might, I don't know, I just figured I was Wikipedia is usually where I can go to find the bulk of the information and then from there go elsewhere where this time it was you really had to specifically search for it and he kept the same story of oh they recanted their story or they said it was a hoax or you, you shouldn't believe it or um, ha 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 it's just a Hollywood movie so leave it all up to you whether or not they are real just for the record, ha, I don't believe any of it. Yes, it's all hoax. Please don't take my body. Please, Bailey, thank you. And I no headaches. I don't. I don't want to know the truth if I'm just going to have headaches. And and yeah. So um, yeah, the real Men in Black. It kind of got a little even uh, scarier to try to dig deeper on that one. Um, but those are, if you do want to dig deeper, definitely check out those books, uh, and it, it can give you more of a, a detailed accounts from various perspectives so yeah men in black very cool uh, yeah awesome. cool well then it yeah pat do you have anything to say i mean you look like <laughs> you were describing uh that he was like he was tired he didn't sleep for days pat was like, like i was like he's been visited by the men in black <laughs> oh no yeah those men no, in Roxanne black roxanne is a woman in black uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got my body yeah <laughs> like I, do they give the bodies back right yeah or do they just be I, I don't know i don't want to know right uh, i know is they, it like yeah. it seems like or not seems but it kind of reminds me of like body snatchers or something yeah like right that, you know yeah. invasion of yeah. the body snatchers yeah, yeah. it very oh, much seems like yeah. that and mm -hmm. a, another thing Bender had had said was that at one of the encounters, they even show up in human form. They were more like shadowy figures that kind of just uh -oh. hovered a few feet. Uh, so that's that's creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. crazy. Oh. Uh, all right, yeah, this was a fun episode. I'll do the closer yeah. in a second here, but let me talk to you guys about like what to expect from the podcast in the future. So since we are coming around on to our Christmas break, uh, Jameson, Pat and I are gonna record a episode on Monday, but that is gonna be the last episode before our Christmas break, which will be an illusion mm -hmm. because we've already recorded so many podcasts to cover the three weeks we're gonna take a break. But uh, when we come back, I wanna hit the ground running with some black dahlia uh so uh so i have assignments for you guys for that um uh okay so it's gonna be a two-part episode uh the first part of the episode uh will be pat jameson and roxana uh roxana i want you to tell us about elizabeth short and her herself her history who she was uh why she came to california like more as much as you can find about her as possible because okay. i feel like her whole story kind of gets overshadowed by the crime yeah uh then i'm gonna have jameson and patrick talk 
uh, about the actual crime and about the Hodel's and Steve Hodel's involvement uh, in it. Uh, because hopefully by that time, Pat will have finished uh, Black Dahlia Avenger. And I know Jameson has read it. Uh, and then uh, the second part of the episode will be Teresa and myself. I'm going to talk. Nice. Very cool. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Fauna Hodel and uh, the root of all evil. Uh, oh, yeah. And that whole cool. After the fact, uh, one it's day, so cool. yeah, I am the night situation. I mean, yes. disturbing, oh my disturbing God. but cool, yeah. Mm, yes, I mean. yes. <laughs> uh, and then, Teresa, I want you to talk about that article that you sent us about how maybe it was oh. George Hodel, uh, and your theories on that as well, okay. Uh, and anything that you can add as well to if you yeah. want to talk about. Elizabeth Short, if you want to talk, because I know you love her too. And um, I do. Uh, anything that you want to, you'll be the last person going. So anything you want to sum up the story you feel wasn't okay. talked about, you want to add your theories, definitely go with that. So okay, yeah. well, um, but yeah. But I really like this, like this. Our three women here, you know, uh, I think it's very cool. So I want to do more of these. Uh, even if it's not just for the Patreon, like I definitely want to do more of these on Zoom because like yeah. this, this feels right, you yeah, know. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not um, even wearing pants, so. Ooh. Nobody has the to bonus wear. of being at home. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna do the closer. I'm gonna then we'll log off of uh, Facebook and we can chit chat afterwards and tell each other secrets. Uh, Yay, secrets! All right. Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast is the collective work of the owners, the employees, and uh, of Hollywood's Haunted Tours, and is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, and share, because sharing is scaring. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, because sharing is scaring, apparently. Uh, Please, please, please uh, follow us. Please tell your friends about this. Uh, I'd like to gain some more subscribers in the future. Uh, I would like to uh, spread this out to everyone. So please uh, share this with a friend um, and also uh, follow us on Patreon. This video will be on our Patreon as well as our other videos. Uh, from my Facebook lives that I've been recording over the past couple weeks and many, many more in the future. Hopefully we'll have some fun adventures when things start to open up. But yes, follow us on Patreon, which is www.patreon.com slash podcast for more exclusive content, stickers, shirts, and much more. We have merch, so check it out. Uh, and for more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. If you have any questions, suggestions, hometown hauntings, paranormal experiences you've had yourself, weird celebrity encounters, anything like that, please email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. We want to hear from you guys. Um, yeah, and that's it. So stay spooky, everyone. Yay. Yay. Yay.